to episode 173 of Late Night Linux, recorded on the 11th of April 2022. I'm Joe, and with me are Phelan. Evening. Graham. Hello. And Will. Hello. Let's get straight on with our discoveries then. Will, what is Xernal? Xernal PP. Okay. Is a tool which allows you to uh, just sort of scribble on a notepad. It supports pressure-sensitive styluses, touch input, and mouse, and is useful for sort of general note-taking, um, drawing of pictures, you know, flowcharts and, and things like that, just with a free hand, very quick, very easy. It's like um, notepad, text, basic text editor, but for um, sort of sketches and things like that. It supports latex, which is useful for people who like that sort of thing. But the main reason I used it was that it allows you to annotate on top of a PDF. So I got a PDF from work, which had a form in that I had to fill in and sign and send back. And I didn't really want to print it off, sign it and take a picture of it or scan it and then send it in. So I was looking for something that did what the Mac PDF reader does, which is allow you to attach a signature to a PDF, like a, a drawn signature to a PDF. And to start with, I opened uh, the default um, Evans PDF viewer that I've got, and that didn't do it. Then I tried OpenOffice. And if you go into OpenOffice, open a PDF and choose from the file menu, sign PDF, that sounds like a useful thing. But in fact, what it does is attach a digital signature, which nobody fucking cares about. So what I was looking for is something that would very easily allow me to sort of use my mouse to scratch out a rough signature, overlay it on the PDF, save the PDF and send it as email. And Zernal PP did that for me. It the whole process took maybe two minutes. It is available in Ubuntu from the latest version. Otherwise, there's a PPA for the older versions. There are pre-compiled binaries as well. And I found it very easy, very quick to use, and it solved my problem very quickly. Your mouse skills are clearly better than mine because mine would look like I've written my uh, signature with a chisel. Mm. Oh, well, my signature looks like that anyway. <laughs> I just take a photo of my signature. Well, what I did was I took a photo of it and then uh, in GIMP adjusted the levels and stuff to make it look a little bit less like I'd taken a photo of it. And I just paste that on, job done. That sounds like a ball ache. Yeah, this does sound easier, I must say. Especially if you've got a touchscreen or a graphics tablet, which you have neither of. So I've got a touchscreen, although I didn't actually try it with a touchscreen. Fingerprints, ugh. <laughs> oh, right. You'd think you would have tried that. Yeah, you, you might think that. All right, Phelan, what is Saltstack Linter? Well, I heard your lamenting of YAML last week, and I felt it because Saltstack is configured with YAML files, and I too am not entirely keen on them all the time. So friend of the show, Jeffrey Bowder, and one of his work colleagues, Roland Neffs, I think, I don't know which one created it, which one is helping out, whatever. Uh, they work for WarpNet, which is a Dutch security company, and it is a linter for your Saltstack config which is remarkably handy when you've left out something somewhere deep amidst all the files. So if anybody's doing that, they should check it out. I do like this GIF on the uh, GitHub page that shows you them installing it and using it. Yeah, they used Askinimar, the tool which allows you to record your terminal and then replay it as a video. It's a really cool tool, worth checking out. That is quite nice, actually. And seeing as that was a, a nice and quick short one, I also found 
the diff tool that I've been wanting forever, which is Diftastic, because a lot of the time I have incredibly long lines of config that need to go into something, and then it tells me that the two lines are different, and they have about a thousand characters in them, and I'm like, I know they're different because I just changed it, but I don't know where I changed it. And this understands a bit more about the data structures of various languages, and it is truly excellent, except for the fact I had to install it using a flat pack which then didn't see where I keep my code because it's out my home directory. That's really just a case on how I think that George Castro's incredibly wrong about his read-only file systems. But anyway, that's for a different day. <laughs> so this is diff plus plus essentially then. Yeah, essentially it's it's a diff that knows the data structures. It can understand, you know, that you've changed a string and you've changed one word in a string rather than these two lines are different. So it's it's far more intelligent and um yeah, it's a flat pack. Uh, there's even a snap as well. Um, so yeah, it's good. Try it out, I would say. I wonder if it can understand contracts, because that's what I use diffs on. Because I'm not reading it all every time. I just want to know what's changed from last time. What, what's anyone tried to sneak into it? I would think no, because I would think it's not a lawyer, and therefore it would just bomb straight away. Right, okay. That being said, if it is a format that it doesn't understand, it does fall back to a standard diff of a line and you know i think it may try character wise as well but it's really good i've been using it quite a bit last week right graham what's interactive command cheat sheet navi yeah so navi or navi i think i'm guessing this but it might be named after the little fairy in zelda that must have appeared in ocarina of time the little fairy that tells you at the beginning of the game how to do things and move and jump because navi does the same thing for the command line it's basically it's got a load of recipes and single line commands in it. Um, when you run it, you can use FZF or FZF to search dynamically. So you might type grep, for example, then loads of grep commands will come up with an explanation of what they do. And you can choose one and it'll automatically fill out the terms on the command line for you. So it's a really great way of learning how to use the command line and what tools are available. But also, if you already know how to use the command line, but have a terrible memory like I do and can never remember the syntax for find, then um, you can type in Navi and then find, and then it'll tell you kind of, it comes up with it, an interactive cheat sheet, which with a description of the commands you can do with find and you choose one and it's automatically pasted onto the command line for you. Now, what you want to do if you can't remember the syntax for find is go to your conversation with Phelim and uh, search in Telegram <laughs> for the examples he gave you. They'll have a typo on them, though. That's the only problem. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think they would have uh, they would have called it Phelim, but they couldn't fit the special character in. Well, is Navi not some giant racist term for Irish people building railways in the UK? You share of bastards. That's why I carefully said Navi, which uh, is the... Uh... <laughs> fucking outrageous. You just can't help us. Well, they too have used ASCII Cinema to show how it all works. So uh, that's obviously uh, the hot stuff these days. Mm. Yeah, it's been around for ages. Well, the last time I looked, you couldn't self-host it, which worried me slightly because then all these links will die if ASCII Cinema goes dead. But um, maybe you can these days because it is neat. And you can often co copy and paste from the uh, the animations as well, which is important. It's usually animatable text. Oh, wow. Oh. What witchcraft is this? Mind officially blown. Oh, wow. Yeah, not from that gift, but when you go to the link on their site, yeah, you can, that is, that is just too much. I don't understand how this works. Witchcraft. <laughs> we need to deny the services website. It's clearly the devil. <laughs> wow. You've got another one, Graham. Yeah, so these are two small ones. I, I think I've mentioned this before, but I use several computers plugged into a single screen. I, I used um, Barrier to, to use them at the same time. And there's a small little command called ddcutil 
it's a protocol that uh, screens talk to graphics drivers with. Um, you can do things like set color profiles and brightness and things, but you can also use it with the vast majority of modern monitors, like from the last 10 years or 15 years, to switch between inputs without going through what is usually, in my experience, a terrible on-screen menu provided by the monitor manufacturer. Ah, oh, this is brilliant. So DD Switch has that as part of its arguments, but my discovery is QDDC switch, Thank which God. is a cute interface, <laughs> which is basically, yeah, just an abstraction of the commands in DD switch to just change inputs. You run it, it dynamically probes the capabilities of your screen and what's connected to it, and then comes up with a little UI that shows you the various inputs. And you can have multiple screens as well. And then it allows you to easily switch between different inputs. So it works best when you're running it on every single computer that you've got plugged in so that if you switch to a different system then you can now switch back without having to go through the awful monitor menu this is so good i hate menus driven by one button engineers who think oh the clarity of the system where it's only down to one button should have their finger chopped off my monitor is pretty old now i think seven or eight years it's an lg ultra wide monitor and it did come with a proprietary app for windows and mac os that let you do all this kind of stuff but you can do it with open source software and a couple of utils now that is so good all right well my discovery is unsnap this is something from some fellow called alan pope not quite sure who he is so what it does is removes all the snaps from your system and replaces them with flat packs and then removes snap d and just totally purges your system of it. It's very much alpha at the moment. I was doing some testing the other night and giving him some live feedback. I actually got him out of bed <laughs> to uh, <laughs> to go and push some updates to it, which was pretty funny. But um, originally, if you did the auto mode, it would just remove all your snaps and snap D, even if there was no replacement, because there's generally no flat pack of command line snaps. So get iPlayer, YouTube DL, that sort of thing. I deliberately set out to break this thing, obviously. So now he's changed it so that it doesn't just do that on the auto mode. It's funny that at the bottom of the GitHub page, friendly notice, note, the existence of Unsnap is merely a tool to enable users to switch from snapped applications to flat pack applications. This is not intended as a commentary or slight against any software. It's just a utility, <laughs> he says with his troll face. Graham, you're probably not allowed to comment on this, are you? <laughs> I haven't had any official t- telling him not to comment on it, though. <laughs> Did you key his car in the car park at some point? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't use it. If I really wanted to get rid of Snap, I'd just do it manually. I suppose if you've got a load of Snaps and you want to swap them out, it sort of makes sense, but... Uh, Top trolling by Poppy, I think. Okay, this episode is sponsored by Collide. Go to kolide.com slash late night Linux to sign up today. Collide sends employees important, timely, and relevant security recommendations for their Linux, Mac, and Windows devices right inside Slack. Collide is perfect for organizations that care deeply about compliance and security, but don't want to get there by locking down devices to the point where they become unusable. Instead of frustrating your employees, Collide educates them about security and device management while directing them to fix important problems. Collide helps deal with some of the many issues that are not solved by locking down devices, like instructing developers to set passphrases on unencrypted SSH keys, finding plain text two-factor backup codes and teaching end users how to store them securely, and convincing employees to uninstall evil browser extensions that may sell their browser history. 
You can try Collide with all its features on an unlimited number of devices, free for 14 days, no credit card required. Try it out at collide.com slash late night Linux. That's K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash late night Linux. On to a bit of admin then. First of all, thank you everyone who supports us with PayPal and Patreon. We really do appreciate that. You can go to latenightlinux.com slash support to find out more about it. And remember, for $5 or more per month on Patreon, you can get an advert-free RSS feed. And if you want to send in your feedback or topic suggestions or just generally want to get in touch with us, then you can email show at latenightlinux.com. Let's do some feedback then. And first, let's get a little bit meta. Thierry and Chris asked about Lightning and Boosts, and uh, Peter got in touch about LibrePay. Yeah, Peter said, because payments go directly from donor to donee, the available payment methods depend on the recipient. Also, with PayPal over LibrePay, there's nothing automatic. You still need to make the PayPal transactions every month or quarter. So basically, LibrePay only makes sense if you set it up with Stripe. Yeah, Peter wasn't the only person who complained about this because I set up the LibrePay, but I put PayPal as the only option because that's already set up. Some people don't want to use Patreon. They don't want to use PayPal. I do understand that. But setting up Stripe, I'm sure it's simple, but there are a couple of reasons why I don't really want to do it. One, I'm very lazy. And another is that it's putting a load of financial details into, okay, it's, it might be a trusted organization or whatever, but it's just one more out there to have all my financial details in. And that makes me reluctant. I've heard that Stripe is trustworthy, but... The two boys are from Ireland. I mean, you can't get more trustworthy than that. Okay, to be sure, to be sure. I should just do it. Uh, I, I don't know. If there's a lot of people who are interested, then I will look into doing it. But uh, otherwise, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't really have time and energy to do that. As for the lightning and boost stuff, so there's a good chance that uh, a fair number of our listeners will also listen to Jupiter Broadcasting. And I do a bit of work for them editing Linux Unplugged. And Chris over there is quite enthusiastic about lightning and boosts. For the uninitiated, it is crypto bollocks, basically. But lightning is a network that purports to fix a lot of the problems, transaction speed and capacity and the cost of transactions. It's decentralized, self-hostable, but there are some issues with it. It's not a case of us not understanding it or not having researched it. I have looked into this a lot and I disagree with Chris. I disagree with the arguments that he's made about crypto generally. And I've had private conversations with him about this, but I think it's time to put it on the record. I don't think it's the future of funding anything legitimate. Crypto is bollocks as far as I'm concerned. I may well be wrong. We may all be wrong, those of us on this side of the fence, but it's not something that I want to actively promote. Now, we do have a Bitcoin wallet address on the support page, latenightlinux.com slash support, because we're not going to say no if you want to send your funny money. But we're not going to actively promote it, and we're not going to do these boosts, which is people essentially sending a tiny amount of Bitcoin to get their comment mentioned on the show or whatever that he's been promoting. You know, Linux Action Show was the first podcast I ever listened to. Not Linux podcast, but actual podcast. And, you know, I do respect Chris, but I think he's wrong on this. I'm willing to be proven wrong in the long term, but I think he's wrong. 
And so I don't want to do this unless one of you lot wants to convince me. Nope. Nope. <laughs> Did you have to boost to be able to talk to him? <laughs> <laughs> so what you're saying is the Lightning Network is the PayPal of Magic Beans, then, is it, yeah? No, because it's decentralized and self-hostable. Oh, right. Okay, Jesus. But you have to get your Bitcoin off and on the Lightning Network. I'm not going to go into it here. I'm not going to spend loads of time arguing why I don't want to do it. And like I say, I could be wrong. We could all be wrong on this side. It could end up being the future, but I just don't think it is right now. So uh, we've got an email from an anonymous listener. I recently started a new job. Typically, the only options to choose from are Windows or macOS. However, I was hoping the new company I work for would be different. The company is a big sponsor of some open source projects. The engineers contribute a lot of code to those projects as well, so they're not like a lot of companies that consume lots of FOSS without giving back. Despite all of the good things they're doing for FOSS, I was taken aback by the fact that, as an employee, I only had the option to choose between Windows and macOS. I've inquired about the use of Linux, as I do not want to faff around with things like Homebrew and other macOS nonsense when I'm far more comfortable using a Linux environment with real package management systems. Diversity in the workplace is a huge topic these days when it comes to people, but what about the tools we use? How should we go about encouraging more companies to adopt Linux for employees? Don't get me wrong, I really love the company I work for, but this one piece threw me off. Don't fight it. Just use Windows and run VirtualBox. Don't use that WSL nonsense. Don't give them the benefit. Use a VirtualBox environment, a proper distro in a proper VM, and just pretend that's what you do and that's how you get your job done and i've done that at clients i had to use windows for so well just boot into it full screen don't look back two monitors full screen the left monitor was the outlook operation that was it it just ran outlook other side where i got my work done all linux full screen virtualbox brilliant i think this is the reality of a lot of companies they don't want to support linux because supporting linux is not one thing is it supporting windows 10 or windows 11 or mac os is a singular thing. Whereas Linux, it's like, okay, well, I know uh, there are huge retailers slash cloud companies that have hundreds or thousands of Linux machines that are their own sort of spin of Ubuntu. But that is quite the support burden to take on, isn't it? Whereas if you just say, yeah, have at it with Linux, well, your compliance stuff is probably not going to work. I know Ubuntu's been working on that stuff lately. Um, and, you know, Active Directory stuff or whatever. But it's not a surprise, really. Any company of any sort of size is unlikely to want to support Linux, even those that are really heavily invested in FOSS, because the bottom line is that people who make money out of Linux generally aren't doing it with the desktop. The OS is a big problem, but, I mean, at most of the companies I've worked at before this part of my life, you couldn't choose which software to run on the computer either. So it was kind of moot. You certainly couldn't install a VM and then run Linux that way. Um, and so that's another problem is that you're usually shoehorned into, I don't know, some proprietary bundle that you really can't escape from. You can't even use a command line to get to your own tools. I used to SSH out, but that was probably against all the rules. Well, not wishing to shill for Influx too much for a second <laughs> Again. time. Oh, here we go. But uh, I was given the choice of a ThinkPad or a Mac, and the ThinkPad came with Windows, but the IT support manager, the, the, the person who's responsible for getting these machines to us, 
is totally encouraging us to blow away windows and install linux um we've got like support groups within the company a lot of the engineers use it a lot of the sres use it as well so if you get stuck there's always people to ask and the decision is up to us we run a secure vpn and then what you do on your machine is kind of up to you the rationale being that if you break it then you have to fix it but you know we're we're allowed to do pretty much what we want that means that we can get our job done in the way we want to do it. You just have to come around here with your perfect company rubbing it in our faces. <laughs> well, Canonical's the same, isn't it, Graham? Yeah, I wasn't going to talk about Canonical. Um, initially, you might be put off because you have to buy your own hardware. Mm. Canonical doesn't give you any money up front to buy your own hardware for work. You have to buy your own, at least at the moment. Now, this sounds a bit annoying, but over time, I actually really appreciate it because I bought my own hardware and it's mine. I use it for my personal life as well as my professional life, and there's absolutely no problem. I have no problem with that. I also, with setting it up exactly as I want it to be um, and using whatever computer I want. Yeah. It's a bit of a pain that I've had to put the money up front to be able to do that, but I actually really like the freedom of knowing that at the end of the day, the computer's mine and I can do whatever I want with it. I do like that. And who, who wants a second computer that they don't really want sitting in the desk beside them that runs mm. most of the day? It's Yeah, that's a great idea, actually. I quite like that. Yeah. Well, when I worked for the company before, I could have requested hardware, but again, I just didn't want to. I wanted to just have my own stuff. And when I walked away or uh, was asked to leave quietly, <laughs> I knew that it would all be my stuff. And, you know, all of my equipment was mine. And there was no question of sending anything back to them. So, yeah, I do uh, see why that kind of works for you, Graham. But again, you know, Canonical is a relatively young, relatively small company. Influx Data is essentially a startup, isn't it? Mm. You know, that's that's not like a big juggernaut of an ancient company. And you're working in this space Maybe this company, whoever they are, that this anonymous person wrote to us about is a startup style as well. But I suspect not really from what they've said there about um, being forced to use a Mac or Windows. It's starting to feel to me now, I, I obviously live in this wonderful world where all computers are given to you for free and everything's great. <laughs> but it sort of feels to me like the, the modern working practices of distributed teams working from home with access to GitHub it feels like this sort of work-managed laptop is becoming increasingly old-fashioned and outdated. And if you're a software developer or you work within a software development organization, then the ability to run what software you want on the desktop, as long as you meet certain requirements for, I don't know, disk encryption, VPN access, patches, that sort of thing, then you should be able to do what you want. And and it feels like this legacy, you must use Windows and you must have this domain account and you must have all of this pre-approved software installed, feels increasingly legacy to me. And I'd like to think that the world is moving away from that, but I'm probably wrong. Well, from my experience, the greatest downtime I ever had was when the corporate patch rollout for Windows happened. And we had several errors of downtime and billable errors, whereas that never happened with my VM. So yeah, there you go. Okay, this episode is sponsored by Linode. Go to linode.com slash late night Linux to get started with $100 free credit. From their award-winning support offered 24-7, 365 to every level of user, to ease of use and setup, it's clear why developers have been trusting Linode for projects both big and small since 2003. 
Deploy your entire application stack with Linode's one-click app marketplace or build it all from scratch and manage everything yourself with supported centralized tools like Terraform. Linode offers great price-to-performance value for all compute instances, including GPUs, as well as block storage, Kubernetes, and more. Linode makes cloud computing fast, simple, and affordable, allowing you to focus on your projects, not your infrastructure. So go to linode.com slash late-night-linux, create a free account with your Google or GitHub account or your email address, and you'll get $100 in credit. That's linode.com slash late-night-linux. Haley writes to us, I think you might have mentioned Cute Browser when you talked about alternatives to Firefox ages ago. It's definitely not for everyone, but I thought maybe some of the more technically involved members of your crew might appreciate it, particularly Phelan, as it only uses about 95% of your screen real estate when full screen. It's a godsend on small monitors. It is rather beta. It crashes on me a few times a week, but usually I start it back up and continue to use whatever site it crashed on with no further issues. It can handle JavaScript and all the modern web stuff we would expect from any modern website. And the only websites that I haven't been able to get to work on it are those like banks or whatever that refuse to load if it isn't the latest version of Firefox or Chrome for security reasons. It feels a bit like someone wanted a bare bones lightweight browser like Lynx or W3M except with the ability to render modern websites. There's a bit of a learning curve as the browser is designed to be used with keyboard presses and makes browsing via keyboard alone a breeze, but one can still use the mouse to scroll, click links, and right-click to get a menu with options like back, forward, save page, and save image. It's certainly not going to replace Firefox as the go-to web browser of choice for most people, but some of the more technically involved might find it useful. A major drawback is the lack of add-ons. While it is extensible in Python, there isn't a large library of extensions, though I have found the odd script on GitHub. Anyway, I think it's rather promising and maybe worth keeping an eye on. Is it Python 2, though? Because otherwise, Phelan's not going to have a chance. Ah, funny, funny. I've updated (laughs) most of my code if I ignore some of it. (laughs) So a cute browser, then. That's quite the sales pitch for it. Yeah, I think Graham brought us up. I even believe I remember this from a Linux voice episode. We did the uh, cheat sheet, didn't we? We had a cheat sheet on the inside back cover once. I think it might have been one of the original discoveries, cute browser. And honestly... I've used it ever since. It's like my wow. daily driver for most things. And you don't find any compatibility issues or anything weird going on? or Well, the, the unspoken thing here is that it's using a cute web engine because it's, it's a cute based browser. Um, cute web engine is Blink or Chromium based. So you're not really escaping to like a, a, you know, a new browser, sunny uplands somewhere. Um, you're basically running a Vim based shell over Blink. Yeah. I love it. It's really super minimal. I run it tiling without any window decorations. You've got configuration options over absolutely everything. And I sync the config over Git to my other computers. So I always have that with the bookmarks and quick marks. The scripting thing is really powerful. It's quite simple to get used. I've got two. I've got one that opens up YouTube videos with MPV. Oh, wow. Cool. So that I can get rid of the ads because the ad blocking in it is pretty primitive. It's basically just a whitelist, blacklist that you can update, which is okay, but not great for things like YouTube. And I've got another script that incorporates Pass, the password manager, into different websites. It, it's really nice in that you can use it with your keyboard and, and it's quick. Um, and I do really like it, but I don't feel like it. it's an option if you want to support, you know, the, the development of an alternative web browsing environment. It sounds like a lot of fuck about to me. It is. It's, it's, 
I think it, it appeals to Vim users <laughs> for the same reason that Vim appeals to Vim users. Um, you can configure everything and set it up exactly how you like it, and you can geek about while you're browsing the web, changing things rather than browsing the web. But once you get used to it, it's really quick. I like how Haley implies that you've got small monitors, Fanning. Outrageous. These are 1980 by, I don't know. What, are yours only 1080p, not even 1440? I fucking 1080p. I've got three of them. Three of them. (laughs) Try having one 1440. I'm all about the quantity, not the quality. (laughs) Okay. Two of my monitors, I had to hacksaw the pedestal off because they weren't actual proper Visa mount ones. And I had to get some cheapo fucking arms that like clamp around them, which is why that find that Graham had the other day about the menu button is so good because some of the menu buttons are covered by the fucking arms and I can't adjust them. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm all about working in a cupboard, so I need a large-ish monitor that's high resolution, but not 4K because XFCE. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of other browsers, we should mention Nick's browser as well. I've got a link to a video by guy Gavin Freeborn, who did an interview on it recently. But back in October 2020, we had uh, one of the other project leads, John Mark Chorus, I think is how you pronounce it. He wrote into us about their browser too. So I think that's worth linking to as well, um, if people are looking for alternative browsers to try out. That's Nixt, not to be confused with the Nix package manager. Yes, and I thought they were together for a bit, but no, it's a totally different thing. N-Y-X-T. Yeah, well, I'll stick a link in the show notes. Right, well, with that, we'd better get out of here then. We'll be back next week when we'll probably be talking about what's been going on in the open source world. But until then, I've been Joe. I've been Phelan. I've been Graham. And I've been Will. See you later. <laughs>